You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's Word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. We're two guys committed to the centrality of the gospel, and we want to see our brothers and sisters be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. Good morning, Clay. How's it going, dude? It's going great, Josh. We're here early on a Saturday morning once again. 7.30. Yeah, 7.30 with a cup of joe in hand. What are you drinking this morning? Nothing. I already had my coffee this what morning. Did, what did you drink? Uh, I want to say it was an Ethiopian. I could have told you all these details, but it's from Ethiopia, roasted by uh, Bird Rock Coffee Roasters in San Diego, California. That's cool. I got uh, a grande white mocha from Starbies. Believe it or not, that was my entry <laughs> into the coffee industry and world. Really? It was your first coffee? My first coffee ever was a white chocolate mocha from Starbucks. Here in Panama City, we have a little restaurant called Corum's. Yeah. My entry into the coffee world was a cup of slow drip um, diner coffee from a breakfast joint called Charlie Corum's here in Panama City. And I was like 13 years old. My, my grandfather gave it to me. He was not, my parents wouldn't have been happy about that. And you remember it when we were kids, yeah. kids didn't drink coffee. Well, I remember the first time I tried coffee. I remember it vividly. We were sitting outside of my dad's work, the old shop, in his truck on his lunch break. And he had one of those green Stanley thermoses. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Has a little cup on the top. He took it and he poured, it, he poured some in there. And I was like, Dad, can I try that? Oh, man, that was so nasty. I remember it vividly. <laughs> and now look at where we're at today. <laughs> oh, man. It started, a, started a, created a monster, right? It did. It created a monster. Well, Josh, I can't believe we're about to hit 15,000 downloads. We're recording this to, uh, on... May the 22nd, we're tracking to hit 15,000 downloads today. Yeah, probably in the next couple hours, probably. Wow, that's unreal. I, I've just been blown away by this. I, I, Josh, I was looking at the, the uh, details of the podcast last night. Um, did you know that we're in over 30 countries? No, I haven't, I haven't looked at that. That's craziness. That's just unbelievable that there's people all over the world that hear our podcast. I mean, most of our listeners are in the United States, but we have several hundred downloads from Canada. We have several hundred downloads from um, Thailand, believe it or not. I mean, that's just crazy that there are Christians yeah. all around the world who are like, hey, these guys on the Young, Bob- Young Baptist podcast, they, they talk about some cool stuff. Let's, you know, I enjoy tuning into that. That's really awesome. It's craziness, dude. I don't think if you would have asked me back when we started if that was going to happen, I would have I'd probably laughed a little bit. 15,000 downloads by May, and we, we launched in January. That's nuts. I mean, we have reached Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Honduras, Japan. I mean, that's crazy when I see downloads going into, into countries like that. That's, it's real, it's a real, it's humbling. It is. Because uh, we're, <laughs> we're not that special. We're just a couple of church guys. Nobody knows us. <laughs> <laughs> Just talking about stuff that we're interested in, but we're glad you are too. Yeah. And I'm so glad that people have tuned in. It's been it's been a great ride. Absolutely. We also have our 
Q&A episode coming up once yes. we finish our distinctives. I'm really excited about that. I want to, I'm really excited. You guys, I want to know what you're, what's on your mind. I know that we've said stuff. Maybe it's annoyed you. Maybe you agree with it. Maybe you have some additional thoughts. Please send them in because we'll read them a lot. We'll keep you anonymous if you'd like to, but we'll, we'll read them on the air. We'll respond to them. We'll, I've had some people who disagreed with me that I thought made some really good points, Josh, Mm -hmm. like just stuff that made me think a little more. And I'm, I'm going to share some of those already on that episode. But, uh, so if you have any thoughts, feel free to go ahead and start emailing those in. Go ahead, yeah. reach out to us, tag us on Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook, or or send us direct messages, how, whatever works best for you. And uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to include those. And we know there's things that you guys want us to get into and talk about that we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> but go ahead, send them our way. Sure enough. Maybe your question will get an entire episode dedicated to it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Clay, let's continue our distinctives discussion. Wow, that was super Baptist. <laughs> our distinctives discussion and move on today to the letter s uh saved membership or you have some who who describe it as saved and baptized membership we're going to do like we always do we'll go through the confessions a couple books and then uh, we both have a couple different scripture references that we'd like to uh, point back to uh, our go-to confession, obviously, is going to be the London Baptist Confession of 1689. Chapter 26, section 6 says, The members of these churches are saints by calling, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking, their obedience unto that call of Christ, and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and one to another by the will of God and profess subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. There's a whole bunch of different quotes, and I'm just going to go ahead and read all of them if that's okay. Sure. Uh, We've got H. Harvey in his book, The Church, Its Polity and Ordinances, on page 29. A church is a congregation of believers in Christ, baptized on a credible profession of faith, and voluntarily associated under special covenant for the maintenance of the worship, the truths, the ordinances, and the discipline of the gospel. Clarence Larkin in Why I Am a Baptist on page 69 said, Churches are visible organizations, the visible ceremonial qualification for membership being baptism. That the membership of the apostolic churches was composed of baptized believers is clear from the whole tenor of the Acts of the Apostles and of the apostolic epistles. E.Y. Mullins in Baptist Beliefs said on page 64, The great majority of the New Testament passages use the word church to indicate a local body composed of believers in Jesus Christ who are associated together for the cultivation of the Christian life, the maintenance of the ordinances and discipline, and for the propagation of the gospel. You've got D.C. Haynes in the Baptist denomination, its history, doctrines, and ordinances on page 226. Conversion and baptism are essential to membership in the church and those who've experienced the one and have submitted to the other, and they only are entitled to the privilege. And then finally, E.C. Dargan in his book, The Doctrines of Our Faith, on page 165, speaking of the local church, said a particular assembly or society of baptized believers in Christ, meeting commonly in one place for worship, for mutual instruction, for observing the Christian rites, for work in the name of the Lord, and generally for Christian service. And then on page 166, he was speaking of the formation of churches. He says, we know that it was composed of those that made an actual confession of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, upon repentance and faith. Clay, I think the first book that we talked about, H. Harvey's book, The Church's Polity and 
ordinances discusses the three keys that I think are important when we talk about saved membership. It's a congregation of believers in Christ, baptized on a perfect, credible profession of faith, and voluntarily associated under special covenants for the maintenance of the worship, the truths, the ordinances, and the discipline of the gospel. Three things, saved, baptized, voluntary. Those are, I believe, the three keys to this conversation. Yeah, and, and the distinctive, we call it saved church membership, but a lot of people do say saved and baptized church membership. They include that in the title, which is, which is, which is a biblical uh, viewpoint of it. Absolutely. There is no separation scripturally between baptism and church membership. They're, they're talked about as one and the same. Those who heard the word were baptized and they were added to the church. Um, and that, you, so you're asking, the question we're asking today is who should be a part of your church? And this is a, this is a Baptist distinctive that that should only be regenerate people. Um, Acts, you know, you talked about Acts 247 um, or Acts 241. Yeah. Let me just go ahead and read that. It yeah. says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day they were added to unto them about 3,000 souls. So who should be a member of a church? Uh, Acts 247 says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Um, so where is your church located? That's an interesting question to 2501 me. 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, <laughs> Florida, 32405. Well, that's what, that's what most people would say. They'd give the, the physical location of their church. It, it would be where their building is located. But the, the church is not your building. We even talk about this in our language incorrectly many times. Going to church, we talk about. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, have you been to church lately? Hey, go to the church and see this. We, our language betrays sometimes a shallow understanding of what the church is. A church is a group of people. The right. people are the church. Uh, it's a fellowship of people who live sometimes in many different locations. Um, and come to, they come together maybe in one place. But that place, that location, that building, that land, that, that, that is not the church. Um, we've, Baptists have used various terms uh, historically to describe the concept of a church, such as a believer's church, a regenerate church, the gathered church, voluntary church, born-again church, um, fellowship of the redeemed. So, But what, whatever term is used, the meaning is basically always the same, and that is a church is a fellowship of people who have voluntarily followed Jesus as Lord and voluntarily associate with one another under his lordship and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we've, we've maintained that, not, you know, that, that only saved people should be part of a church. Right. Uh, and that is different than other denominations. Other denominations do allow non-believers to be members. Um, so while, a, uh, while becoming a Christian is an individual response of faith, growing as a Christian uh, is, in, is a part, part and parcel of the, of the life of the church. That's a fellowship with other Christians. The Christian life after salvation was not designed as a solo endeavor, but as a fellowship of, with other believers, being part of a body. And so there's a lot of talk about the church in our culture and even people who say, I love Jesus, I don't love the church. Well, I, I, I don't believe you can have it that way. No, I don't. You I can't don't love so. Jesus and hate his bride. Right. The church is the bride of Christ. And if you're saved, you're actually a part of that bride. And so you can hate on the gathered assemblies if you want, but you're part of the bride and you can't, you can't love Jesus and hate what Jesus loves. Mm-hmm. And Jesus loves his bride. The New Testament concept of church focuses on a local body of baptized believers in Christ. Now, we know that in the New Testament, some of the passages that talk about church also refer to the redeemed of all the ages, everywhere and in every place. You see this in Matthew 16 and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 1. 
where the church is used, is talked about, but is talked about more broadly as all believers in Christ. But usually in the Bible, when it talks about churches, it's talking about a local gathered assembly. And you, right. you should be committed to a local assembly because that's the New Testament instructions and that's the New Testament pattern, is that you're accountable, that you're committed to growing in grace in a local body of believers. Although Baptists believe that church membership should include only the redeemed in Christ. They encourage and welcome everyone to, to come. It's not like we're excluding anybody from coming to services or being involved in worship service, uh, being involved in Bible study, being involved in ministry events. No, those are we open that up to everybody. But, but churches know who their members are. Yeah. And we know specifically, too, when people are in the building, whether or not we have evidence that they're a Christian or whether they're not or whether they're somebody we need to reach. And so that's an important distinction. Yeah, so then... I guess that really leads us into why it's important to practice saved and baptized church membership. I think first, by you know requiring an individual to be a believer in Christ, the church is making it clear that the gathering of the church, and like you mentioned, it's not exclusive to just the saved. You know, it's obviously beneficial to someone who's unsaved, um, but it's clearly a union of fellow believers. It demonstrates that these people are coming together for the the common good of the gospel. And by requiring members to be believers in Christ, it it kind of pr- brings about this purity in the church. It helps preserve like pure doctrine and it keeps I, I I'll say it this way and there there's so much nuance to this word, so we may have to discuss it a little bit, but it keeps the world from penetrating the church in a way. Now, what's the world? Oh my goodness, well, we, we could, could talk about we that. Could, could we at least say that what we mean by the world is something that's antithetical to the submission to the Lordship of Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can't expect lost people to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ because in the most basic way, they've not made that decision. Right. In the most basic way, they have not submitted themselves to the Lordship of Christ for salvation. So if they've not done that, then we can't actually expect them as part of a church to care about the doctrinal purity of the church, to care about the things that are most important to believers because they're not one. Right. That's fair. Now, I would personally maintain that this distinctive is saved and baptized membership because that's what I believe to be the teachings of the New Testament. And I think by requiring a person to be baptized, whether it's in the church where they're seeking to become a member or a church of like faith and practice. I know that you've probably heard that statement before when someone seeks membership in the church, you know, this person is coming from such and such Baptist church. They've been saved and scripturally baptized in a church of like faith and practice, you know, whatever the case may be, I think it's signifying the significance of the commitment a person is making. And I think that's maybe something we should, should dive into here in just a bit is the commitment that it, being a member of a church really is, but the union with a body of believers, it's no small thing. Just like baptism is no small thing. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about that, Josh. You, you and I have had conversations about this before about consumerism in church. This is something that I know a lot of ministers and pastors, if, you, if you're a good pastor, you're constantly trying to call people out of a consumerist mentality, out of a, or uh, just to constantly, just bless me if you can. I'll sit on the back row. I'm I'm the I'm the receiver of the ministry. You're the giver of the ministry. We've we've talked about how how difficult that is to break that kind of culture, that mentality. That's an apathetic, fleshly, natural though mentality to have. I'm gonna show up to church. The people who are on staff here 
are going to encourage me and minister to me. And that's what church is about for me. I'm basically part of this club and this is my spiritual benefit. Talk about why that's, you know, let's talk about that. Well, I mean, I think first you have to look at, in some ways, how cheap and easy it is to be the member of a church in some places. Uh, I learned just this week, just this week, that there are churches out there where you can walk up at the end of a service, request membership, and be granted membership into the church. Join that day. Just like that. Like Planet Fitness. Like Planet Fitness. <laughs> Judgment-free zone. <laughs> and and we're to be clear, we're saying this is a problem with, with the consumeristic culture is that we're not we're not doing our job in the discipleship process on the front end when people join our church. Yeah. Well, a church isn't a country club. You know, mm-hmm. you don't join and pay your dues and get all your needs met and the services that you want, you know. When you join, you join to be a contributing member of the body. I email the manager when I don't like something. Yeah. Okay, Karen. <laughs> no offense to anyone named Karen out there. Listening. <laughs> I mean, you join a church to give to other people, not only to get stuff. You know, there used to be a day, Clay, and maybe it's still out there in some places, but there used to be a day where when you joined a church, you had to agree to the church covenant. And to being a contributing member of that church, to re- to to be required to actually participate in the ministry. Yeah, you're making a commitment. Yeah, you're you're saying I agree to this statement of faith, and I am. Some people don't even call them members anymore. I I can see the 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 value in that because of the way that that word gets used in culture. Our language is is helpful or hurtful sometimes. Some churches use the term covenant partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, or covenant members, they'll 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 label it a little bit more intense because they want people to understand being a member of this church is something that we're asking of you, something that the body of Christ, you know, think about our physical bodies, Josh. Our physical bodies wouldn't work if the hand just decided, I ain't doing anything. Everybody else just serves me. Or if your feet decided that, right? Or if an organ of your body decided that, we we can't we can't afford for that. Likewise, a church will be dysfunctional if you have members who are just saying, hey, I'm a member, but I don't do anything here. Mm-hmm. You know, I show up on Sunday and you're lucky if I do that, you know, and I'll give. I might I might put a little money in the plate if I do. That's it. When I want to, when I don't have something better going on. Right. You know, as long as there's nothing else going on, I'll be here on Sunday. As long as I have extra money, I'll give. And if it really fits into my schedule, I might serve in some way. That's not covenant m- membership mm-hmm. in a church. And yeah, it is a problem and it leads to that consumerism. I'll do it when it, when it fits me, my schedule and when it makes me feel good about myself, when it enhances my lifestyle, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's, unfortunately, I believe it's the natural outcome of the culture that we live in, that everything is so consumeristic and we, we bleed it into the church. And what's scarier, in my opinion, is that church leaders feed into it and are like, hey, come to this church. We have all these programs for you to, to, to be a part of. And, you know, you've got, what's the old saying? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. you got yep. all these people that are running themselves ragged to keep 80% of the church happy because they're coming to consume, 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 consume. And that's not the way, the way it should be. I, I don't. I don't know how many of you listening feel about Craig Rochelle, but he definitely got it right when he was setting up the key pillars of Life Church. One of them, which says, We are not spiritual consumers, 
we are spiritual contributors. I love that so much because it means when you when you gather with the church, you are not just there to get. You are there to give something back, to participate, and to set aside all of your wants, wishes, and desires for the common good of your brothers and sisters that are there as well. And I don't, I don't know, Clay. I think that's something we really need to get back to. Absolutely. And you said it well when you said that leaders can contribute to this. We can get gimmicky and trying to get people in the door. We even track, we tend to track attendance mm-hmm. and not do maybe as good of a job tracking engagement. If, you, if we want to know how healthy our church is, we're not tracking just attendance. We're tracking engagement. We want to know how many people are serving. How many people are in small groups being discipled? How many people are, uh, are serving in ministries? That is an important number. If you want to know how big is your church? Hey, the, Kerry Newhoff talks a lot about this, and I, I love his material on this. He says the future of the church is not attendance. It's engagement. Mm-hmm. Why? Those are your disciples. Those are the people actually actively growing. And, and learning and provoking to love and good works and finding ways to serve. That's the future of the church. Absolutely. Consumeristic cultural Christianity is going to die because consumeristic cons- cultural Christianity was advantageous to a whole generation where, where being a Christian was maybe a positive thing. In general, in society, it was looked well on. That, that's changing very quickly in this culture. So I think you're going to see less and less people. I think you're going to see less and less people coming to church just because it fits into their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Consumeristic Christianity is, gonna, is slowly going to die as it becomes less advantageous to do it for lifestyle reasons. You're either going to be a disciple or you're not. Yeah. But we should be encouraging that in our membership process because what, we're, what are we looking for? Saved, regenerate church members. We're looking for people who are committed and following Christ. Of course, we all waver on that, right? There's, there's no way to achieve perfect purity on this, right? There are people who are going to make professions of faith, and we're going to accept it, and they're not going to actually be Christians, right? There are going to be people who are Christians, but they've, they're backsliding, or they're, or they're struggling with temptation, or they're struggling with sin issues in their life, and we're trying to work through those things. So it's, it's, there's always going to be people in your church who are struggling with engagement, struggling with following holy after Christ. But our desire should be that we're not just, that it's not Planet Fitness at church. Mm-hmm. You're not just putting down a, a $10 no money down, $10 a month. No commitment. Yeah. yeah. Black card member at, at Fellowship Baptist Church. Come right? and use the facilities for whatever you need and then leave. Yeah, and then uh, send an email to the manager if there's anything that bugged you. You know, no. Um, we're supposed to be givers. You know, we have a job to do, and the church is a an organization for the glory of God. Number one, it's the, it's an, it is a, an organization. It is the bride of Christ. Is a living, breathing organism designed to give God glory and to proclaim his name in the earth. And wherever there is not the worship of God happening, it is to give the, bring the gospel to that place so that the worship of God will begin. And so until everything on, that, uh, that's on earth is praising God, the church has a job to do. And so long as that's the case, we don't have the luxury or we shouldn't think we have the luxury of treating this like a country club, like you said, and being so flippant about it. And I think as churches get away from consumerism, and I pray that we do, I, I pray that the church moves away from it. But I think as that happens, you're going to see that church membership roles are going to become smaller. Now, attendance may stay up, but membership roles will be smaller. And I think that's just going to be the natural response to someone coming in to join membership somewhere and finding out 
hey, if you're going to be a member here, here's the body of doctrine that you're going to need to to support and defend. And here, here's the requirements if you're going to be a member at this church. Like, we expect you to be a contributing member. You don't just get to come sit and enjoy the privileges of membership. And I think as as if we start to see a shift back to that, churches may, I don't know, they may dwindle in size. Sure. But I don't know if that's a bad thing, personally. Hey, Jesus shows up in John 6, and what does he do? There's thousands. Yeah. And by the end, there's just a few. I mean, Jesus cuts his church that day by a lot. And he in the parable of the sower, he tells you why. And they didn't get it. And even mm-hmm. the disciples didn't get it. Yeah. He told them afterwards, he said, to some people it's given to understand it, to some people it's not. You get it. I'll explain it to you because you want to know. You're, you're digging. You're a disciple. You're asking. A lot of people are just here for the food. And the people who were just here for the food, they were just here to get. I'm, I'm not, Jesus didn't seem upset that they were gone. They weren't actually disciples. They were followers. They were fans. Our pastor likes to talk about fans versus followers here at Fellowship they were fans of Jesus, but they were not disciples. They were not followers of Jesus. And that's a big distinction. Jesus understood it. Uh, he, he shows up and, and offends a bunch of them. I mean, you see it. He gets thousands of people around him and he says, hey, if you're not willing to forsake all, you're not ready to be my disciple. Yikes. Like, how's that for your membership class? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Jesus, Jesus practiced this with his own disciples, the people who followed him closely. He would say these kind of things to them and say, hey, what are... What are you planning to give here? You know, do you really want to follow after me? Or are you just in it for yeah, the, the, rich the young benefit ruler. of being with this high profile rabbi? Yeah. You, you want to be known as one of the one of the few. Yeah. You want to be known as one of the of the of the disciples. Well, do you know what those disciples are doing? Do you know what they've committed their lives to? Drop your nets, Jesus told them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the rich young ruler shows up, and he realizes the rich young ruler wants eternal life, and he wants to be part of the he wants to be part of Jesus' followers. But but he's he's absolutely committed to his money. That's the number one thing in his life is his possessions. Jesus knows that, and so challenges him on it, and he walks away. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I'm not saying we take all of Jesus's words and use them in membership meetings, but what I do, what we are. I think in agreement on here is that we should be asking on the front end with membership. We're saying, all right, we're asking for their testimony of salvation. We want a clear profession of faith. We want to know that they've been baptized. And if not, we want to baptize them. And as part of that discipleship process, we're discussing what membership in a local church should look like. What are we asking? What does that mean for you? What does it mean to be a serving, growing Christian, provoked and provoking others to love and good works? That's a powerful thing, though, when you have a church who believes that and a culture that embodies that. And I don't think it's, I think something we have to clarify here is that when a church asks people who are seeking membership to do X, Y, and Z as like a requirement, they're not asking it based upon their own like, oh, we've got to, you have to do this so we can build the church here. They're doing it based upon biblical commands. And it's spiritual disciplines. It's the, it's, it's, it's. Commitment to sound doctrine and commitment to spiritual disciplines. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think something else that we may mistakenly do is when we read the New Testament, we, we think, oh, those are just all exceptional people. This is, they, these, are all, these are all crazy examples of like what the best people in all circumstances would ever do. Uh, these are just like your regular dudes and dudettes, if I can say it that way. <laughs> Coming together, 
they had jobs, they had lives, they had hobbies, they had friends, and they were still willing to say, okay, I'm going to, I mean, when we think of the disciples leaving their nets to follow Jesus, it's just so, we're so, so conditioned to hearing that. It's so comfortable. We don't really think about the magnitude of that decision to say, here's how I provide for my family. Here's how I've done it for my whole life. Okay, I'm just going to leave it and, and follow, follow this, this rabbi that people are talking about right now. That's a big deal. Yeah, we, we sort of reduce Bible characters sometimes to one-dimensional people, like, like, like they were all losers before they became Christians, and now that's all they have going on in their life. No, they were just like you. They, they yeah. had families. They had friends. They had jobs and careers. They had interests. Some of them, they had children. You think, uh, and you think um, Apollos was a no, just a nobody and then became a powerful man of God? You think Barnabas was a nobody and just became a powerful man of God and a missionary? You think Paul was no, like, these people weren't nobody. What about Phoebe? What well, I about, mean, the Bible ab- talks about Peter's mother-in-law, so Peter was married. What about yeah. his wife? Right. What, yeah, and, and, and Aquila and Priscilla and all these people that Paul talks about throughout his letters, these are real people living in real places with jobs and careers and hobbies and interests and families, and they forsook a lot, and it meant something to follow Christ. And so the church, we're not setting this impossible bar where we're saying, are you willing to lay down your life at this moment? We're not, you know what I'm saying? We're not being ridiculous about it. We understand that discipleship is a process, and the church is is fully engaged in that from beginning to end. But with a new believer, before they're joining the church, we're talking about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. We're saying, hey, these are the spiritual disciplines, and what we're what we're asking of our members is to be committed to growing in grace, you know, to showing charity with the brethren, to studying their Bible, to praying, you know, to fasting, to seeking God, to being faithful to our church services, to being discipled and accountable to to, to their to their brothers and sisters in Christ. To owning a thirteen by nine casserole dish. <laughs> I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Shout out to uh, a good friend of the podcast who uh, who wrote in that said that in order to be a good Baptist, you have to own a 13 by 9 casserole dish. Clay, I think this leads to something else that could get a little spicy, but maybe we could go there. Something that we see here in the South especially, and I don't remember it so much growing up. I grew up in the state of Wyoming. Something I've noticed here in the South is this matter of church hopping. Should we go there? Should we get into that? Preach, Josh. I'm in. <laughs> it kind of it kind of shocks me. You 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 know, I heard about it in college. I heard about it uh from different pastors and stuff. And then I you know, graduated and ended up in the south and it's a real thing yeah. where just like you shop at different stores for the clothes that you wear or where you get your groceries. I mean, it it's happening with churches here in the South. It's so easy to do because there's 4,557 churches in your city and your city only has, you know, 4,500 people. <laughs> but it it's kind of scary how quickly people are willing to just jump ship and go find something else. And it, there's no commitment in that. And I don't really see that being pleasing to God at all as far as how the church should be structured. I mean, what what do you think, Clay? No, I don't think there's any place for church hopping. And I think that's a, a symptom of consumerism. Mm-hmm. 
So you, when you approach a church, you should be asking a couple of questions. Where One, where does God want me to be? Where does God want my family to be? Where does God have me at this time in my life? But what you're looking for is a church that's faithful to Scripture, a church that's committed to the mission of reaching people for Christ, and committed to growing within in discipleship so that we can glorify God with our lives. What we don't see is, what I don't see scripturally and what, what, what to me is a fleshly carnal exercise is to sit around in a community in the Bible Belt South, and I joke that we're in the bu- buckle of the Bible Belt in the Panhandle of Florida because, I mean, Josh, I drive to church and I pass, I think we counted 11 or 12 churches that I pass on my way here. On Sunday, yeah, and that's just on the main road. That that's doesn't just count the, any oh, side man. roads. The the the, little, the neighborhoods are full of churches. I mean, they're everywhere. It is a carnal exercise to sit around and say, "Ah, eh, I like this one's youth program, but I like this one's um, children's activities during the week, but I like this pastor over here. He teaches so eloquently, and he's just most he's the most gifted speaker that I've sat under in this area. But you know, I like the way this." other one does outreach. And, and so I'm just going to bounce around, you know, I'm going to go to one for a while until the pastor says something I don't like. And then I'm going to go to the other one until somebody, you know, you know, miss so-and-so looks at me the wrong way. That is a carnal expression of of, of, of church membership. You need to commit to a body of believers and allow them to hold you accountable and allow the, the ugliness and the beauty of all of it to mix together because no church is perfect. Josh, I talked to somebody less than two weeks ago, well, maybe about two weeks ago, here in this community, out in public, and he is somebody that I've known for a while. He's gone to multiple different churches recently, and he told me, oh, I just don't like, I like this church, but they don't have a, they don't have a choir, and, and they, they get out so late. So it just, to me, I just wonder, should I find somewhere else? Mm. What a superficial reason to go or not go to a church because you don't like how late they get out because they don't have a choir and you wish they did. Now, look, I, I'm all for having choirs. I'm all for being efficient with time. But please, did you go there? What did you go there for? And if you went there for the right reasons, have those reasons changed? I'm not saying there's never a reason to leave a church. I've left churches. <laughs> I know what leaving a church, I, there are reason, good reasons to leave a church. Right. But there are bad reasons to leave a church. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about, church hopping, it is, an, it is horrible down in the South, especially this culture where we just go where they're meeting our needs best. You know, what the church needs, how I'm contributing, all of that's secondary. All of that's sidebar. It's just how, how I feel catered to. It's like going to Publix instead of Walmart or going to Starbucks instead of Dunkin'. That's the way these decisions are made. Oh, I just like the environment. I like the vibe there better. Oh, their new youth pastor is amazing and our kids love him. Well, that's fine. That's, that's okay. But man, to, to constantly make, to change churches based on those kinds of things all the time, that's crazy to me. I think if you're sitting in a church that is doctrinally sound, preaching the gospel, reaching their community, I don't personally believe you. there is a legitimate reason to leave that church over something preferential, like music style, yeah. programs. So you're saying that if they take the hymn books out of the pews, I shouldn't leave the church? <laughs> well, if it's the Redback Hymnal, you probably should leave. 
<laughs> yeah, you take the hymnal, you take a hymnal out of some churches, and you think they took you took the Bible out. But, but seriously, that's though, topic. <laughs> I think there are some things. Usually, when we leave a place, be it a, if we stop shopping somewhere, stop going here, whatever, it's usually over something preferential that really wasn't a big deal, anyways. And now we put this on the church, and it's like, ah, oh, well, I really, I really love the fact how loyal they are to solid biblical doctrine, how the preaching doesn't waver from the gospel, but they didn't tickle my fancy in this way, so I've got to go find somewhere else. Josh, when people leave churches, I've always wondered, if, we were the, if, if, the, if that was the only church in town, would you have still left? Mm. And the answer often is no, which tells me you left for the wrong reasons. I've left churches before and been willing to start my own church and you did. And I did that. I left a church and started my own because I wasn't sure where I needed to be. Um, when you leave a church based on conviction, that something is true, and you leave for the right reasons, you, what you're doing is you're saying, I can't go to that church anymore. And it doesn't matter if there's another single church anywhere in the area. You'll do what you have to do. Um, but if that, if that was the only church, if you'd say, well, I'll stay if it, I'd stay if it was the only church you should stay mm -hmm. because you're leaving for some, that means the reason you're leaving is because of a comparison game with the other local churches. That's church. That's, that's a problem. And it's a mentality that needs to go away. Yeah. And you have the luxury in the South of being able to do that. So easy. I, my experience out West, you don't really see that very much. You see people going to a church and they just kind of stick it out until they feel like it's time to move or for other reasons, like they moved an hour and a half out into the country and now they need to go to church somewhere closer. You don't see the whole, well, our church does this, but this church does that, so I'm going to go there. I think we got to get away from that, man, because we're coming, I believe we're coming into a day where there's just not going to be time to sit around and bicker and fight about the preferences and the programs and the stuff in your church. Like, We've gonna, we're going to have to be able to unite around the gospel with one another and develop deep community with our brothers and sisters. And you can't do that when you're not committed to a place, when you're not committed to being all in and contributing to that ministry that is moving the gospel forward. So how should we make sure people in, that join our church are saved? Uh, first, membership in a church should always be voluntary. You talked about this earlier, Josh. Uh, people should request to be members. There shouldn't be a pressure to be members. We should talk to them at, if they're saved and baptized about membership and encourage it. But they shouldn't feel compelled. Um, it should be voluntary. So, and then the other thing is, you know, making sure that they, uh, the church should emphasize the importance of a born again church membership, stressing to our congregations that salvation has to precede baptism. And both precede church membership. Uh, again, Scripture makes it clear that baptism is integral. It's, it's, it's interrelated. It can't be separated from being part of the church in the New Testament. So, And you can't be baptized until you've been saved. So us putting the dominoes in the right order is, is the key. And us talking about it and, and, and preaching it and teaching it and, and stressing the importance of it when we have people inquiring about membership. Hey, this is, this is what's, uh, what we expect. And asking questions on, you know, as part of discipleship, like, hey, tell me about your experience, your, your salvation 
your faith in Christ? Have you truly experienced a saving faith in Christ? Tell me about that. And I think it's even important to ask, how are you growing as a Christian? Talk to me about your Christian life. People should be urged to seek. And if the answer to that is no, I'm not growing. But I, but if there's a desire to, hey, I, I want to grow. They, they show that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, that's, a, that's a sign of a, re- a regenerate person. Well, and I think by re- seeking membership in a church, you're showing I'm seeking yes. growth. Yes. Yeah, unless it's that consumeristic mentality. But I think in a conversation with somebody, you kind of can feel that out. You, there's oh, yeah. plenty of opportunity for you to feel uh, what that person's about. Um, and so churches should, there's a thousand ways to do this, but they should be insightful, they should be discerning, and they should be loving in this process. But they need to start, churches have to figure out a way to evaluate whether people seeking membership have give, are giving any evidence of having been born again. Some churches do membership classes. That's a very uh, good idea because you're, you're now taking some time, some dedicated time to say, hey, this is at Fellowship Baptist Church. This is what we value. This is what we care about. This is the culture here. These are our values. This is what we believe the Bible teaches about basic doctrines. These are spiritual disciplines. This is what it means to be uh, a, a member here at this church. That's a great practice. Yep. And I love the churches. A lot of churches do stuff like that. That's a great practice. Another thing we can do is church discipline. Now, this is not everybody's favorite topic, but it is one way that we can maintain a regenerate church membership. As a matter of fact, historically, Baptists have been very good about kicking people out. <laughs> uh, like, I don't, there, there, were, there were time periods in Baptist history, I don't know if it's the 1600s or 1700s, where I read they were, they were turning out, I mean, they were removing 10, 15, 20% of people on average from the church rolls every wow. year. And you might say, oh, that's a little aggressive. Well, maybe it was. I'm not sure. I wasn't there, and I don't know all the details. But what I do know is we should be doing more of it than we're doing. You have churches all the time where the church role has 750 people on it, and you come to church on Sunday morning, and there's 90 people. Yeah. Uh, those people are not, you know, you don't have, you don't have 700 real members. You have, you have this fictitious number of people who are, quote, unquote, members of your church for weddings, funerals, Easter, and Christmas. Those are not real members of your church. Those are not active, engaged participants of a local body. And so being intentional about that, not just uh, not being apathetic about it, being intentional about it and having a process for that. And church discipline is very important too because, by the way, Josh, this is an important doctrine for unity. Church discipline is. Yeah. To unite certain things is to divide from other things. And to divide from some things is in a way a uniting process too. Not saying unity and division are the same thing, but but when we unite around Bible doctrine, we are separating ourselves from false doctrine. Mm-hmm. One of the most un- unifying things that can happen in a church is for um, someone who has departed from the faith, somebody who has rejected God's word, who's rejected sound doctrine, rejected discipleship, and and the attempted intervention of of church leaders and and people in the church trying to love someone. One of the most unifying things a church can do is let them go, remove them from the church because they're not actively following Christ and pray for them and wait for them and hope for their return and, and ask God, ask for God's intervention. But I'll tell you this, the scripture actually talks about, this is a gospel issue. The membership of the church is a gospel issue because in scripture, when you remove somebody from the membership of a church, it's over one of two things, always heresy or departing from following after and submitting to the local church, following after Christ. They, they stop following Christ. They're engaged in 
grave sin. They're, they've been, there's been multiple interventions. <laughs> they are not listening. They're not repenting. Or they're, her- they're, her- they're believing heresy or teaching false doctrine. Those are the only two things. Unrepentant sin, heresy. Which, <laughs> Josh, I have to ask you this here, and I'll just put it out to the listeners. Ask yourself, when you see Christians withdrawing from other Christians, which of those two they're doing it for? Usually neither one. We do a lot of dividing, and it's not over those two. It's not biblical. Biblically, those are the two reasons you withdraw from Christians. But what does the New Testament teach about when you withdraw from them? That you're treating them as a heathen. You're saying they're lost. So to withdraw from somebody is to essentially treat them as an unbeliever. Well, that's a powerful thing, what you're doing. But the scripture teaches that you should do that when you have unrepentant sin or when you have heresy. It says, remove them. Do not give them airtime. Do not give that space. Say, hey, this is the line here. You've crossed it. You repent of that. You renounce that heresy. You stop saying these things, and you, or you stop living in this way, in a way that brings reproach from the name of Christ and on the church, or, or, we're, or, or there's, there, we don't go any further together. And what you're doing is you're, you're enabling them to one day maybe repent and come back. But if you just leave them there, if you just allow that to continue, you're robbing that, that process. And read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul does not play when he's talking about what they need to do there. He's saying gather together and, and turn that, that, that unrepentant person who's engaging in graves, moral sin in the church, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Treat him as a lost person. He may not be lost, but as far as the church is concerned, he is. Because he's not showing evidence of regener- of a regenerated life. He's not showing a- evidence of being born again. We're not saying he's lost. It's not. To- I can't tell you you're lost or saved. Just like when we a member joins, uh, somebody joins the church, we're not, the church is not saying we know for sure they're saved. All we're right. saying... They're showing that they, uh, they, they're professing faith in Christ, they've been baptized, and they're saying they want to follow after Christ. In the same way, when the reverse is true, they're not following after Christ. They're unrepentant. They're espousing heresy. We reject that person. And it is for their own good. It's so that they can repent. It's so that they can see the error of their way. You have to let them go. But church discipline is a big part of the process. So membership is a gospel issue, really. When we expel somebody, we're saying, as far as we know, this person's lost. Paul says, treat them as a public and treat them as a heathen. And um, and so this is that's not one of the more fun parts of church membership to talk about. But Still it's have a, to though. But it's important. How can you how can you believe in saved church membership and not practice these things? How can you not? You know, if you believe in a safe church membership, you're going to let people voluntarily do it. You're not going to manipulate or pressure them. You're going to talk to them in discipleship on the front end, make sure they show evidence of salvation, that they've been baptized, that they are willing to commit to following Christ. And on the back end, making sure that as people are members of your church, that we're, we're not allowing for apathy to grow. We're not allowing a culture of, of um have just consumerism, you know, we're, we're expecting people to remain committed to sound doctrine and we're expecting people to maintain a committed, uh, following of Christ. So in conclusion, Josh, what are we saying? Find you a good church with a, with a, with leadership that loves the people with a culture where they're, they care for one another. They love sound doctrine. They love God's word. They're committed to following Christ and just commit. Yeah. 
and look for what you, for how you can give, not just how you can get. I think about going to churches all the time and thinking, well, does this meet every need? Well, maybe there's a need they're not meeting that you're supposed to meet. Mm. It's a good thought. Maybe that's why you're there. Maybe you're there because you're seeing a need that maybe they are not actually even, they don't have the time for, or they, or they just, they don't have the volunteers for. Wow. Maybe you're there for that reason. Maybe you don't like a certain, the way a certain ministry does a certain thing. And maybe if you join and show that you're faithful, that's someplace you could help out. So go to a church that, that gets the important things right. And where there's other weaknesses, man, just jump in and be a part of that church and love those people, be committed to those people, be discipled, disciple others, and grow in Christ. Yeah, and to sort of echo what you said to our audience, if you are part of a church that is just crushing it and, you know, you're, they're doctrinally sound, they're, they're gospel-focused, they're moving things forward, I would, I would encourage you this coming Sunday when the church gathers, commit to contribute something to the body on that day. Whether that means you, you sing out when the church is singing in worship to God and singing, uh, the Bible talks about how we're supposed to um, edify one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Contribute in that way. Whether it's in your financial participation or, you know, being allowing God's word to transform your heart through the sermon or hearing of a brother or sister in, in the body who needs something and meeting that need mm. or, you know, reaching out to guests. I hope you have guests in your service on Sunday and reach out to them. You know, it may be something as small and this will, you know, trip a few Baptists out, but this, it may be something as small as sitting somewhere else in the gathering space. <laughs> I mean, that, that's small, but really Whatever it may be, as we've been talking about, you know, this whole time, be committed and and go to the service and contribute. Don't just consume this coming Sunday. Be a contributor and let God use you in that way to impact somebody's life, even this coming Sunday. And I think, one, someone else will be better for it because you did, but I think you'll find you'll be better for it because you contributed to the service this Sunday. Amen to that. Well, Clay, what do you think, man? I was going to say go to church, Josh, but instead I'm going to say be the church. Mm. There it is. There it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod and check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast. Podcast.